Welcome to Anka Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. Thanks for joining me again. I am an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the Bill Cat College of Pharmacy, which is a very proud supporting sponsor of this podcast. Today, we return to our foundations in Oncopharm series where we go over you know, our, our most important agents. So today we're gonna to talk about irinotecan, also known as CPT-11 or the brand name Camptosar. And we'll learn where that CPT comes from. So this is a topoisomerase one inhibitor or topo one inhibitor and irinotecan and its active metabolite bind to topoisomerase bind to topoisomerase 1 uh, and trapping DNA in the, that unbound position where topoisomerase 1 cuts or um, one strand of DNA, unwinds it one revolution, and then re-ligates it. Uh, it Irinotecan traps it in that position, leading to a DNA strand break and ultimately cell death. So because this is uh, active in the cell cycle, it's a cell cycle specific agent. Now, this is a derivative of a natural product from uh, the natural product is camptothecin, or CPT, so that's where CPT11 comes from, from the tree uh, Campotheca acuminata, uh, which is also known as the happy tree, uh, based on um, uh, a Chinese translation, on which dialect of, of Chinese, also the tree of life, or cancer tree, have also been synonyms for Camptotheca acuminata. <clears throat> now, Camptothecin this derivative of this tree has been used in ancient herbal medicines, uh, but its use was limited by wide interpatient variability, both with return with both with regards to diarrhea and neutropenia. Sounds familiar. Um, so CPT11 is a derivative of CPT, maybe the 11th derivative, I don't know. But it was developed by a Japanese pharmaceutical company and therefore was approved first in Japan in 1994, then in the U.S. two years later in 1996 under an accelerated approval program uh, and then was subsequently granted full approval some years later. It's used mostly in treating uh, gastrointestinal malignancy. So you're probably very familiar with the Fulfury or Fulfurinox regimen, Fulfury for colon or rectal cancer, Fulfurinox for pancreatic cancer, um, generally. Uh, the doses of irinotecan in those two regimens is 180 milligrams per meter squared over 90 minutes uh, every two weeks. Um, there is also uh, cisplatin and irinotecan is kind of the regimen of choice for treating a small cell lung cancer in Japan because it was shown to be better than cisetoposide. Uh, it's also used in Ewing sarcoma or could be used in Ewing sarcoma, non-small cell lung cancer, gastric cancer, esophageal, cervical, and adenocarcinoma of unknown primary. Not to mention glioblastoma multiforme or CNS malignancies where the dose uh, usually is 125 milligrams per meter squared every two weeks. I'll also mention that when the drug was first studied, the typical every three-week dose was 340 milligrams uh, per meter squared, or 350 milligrams per meter squared, but we'll come back to that later. So when we talk about the ADME, the absorption, distribution, metabolism, excretion, those kind of pharmacokinetic parameters of irinotecan, and of course we can't talk about all of them, one of the most fascinating drugs, and one of the drugs that just cries out for why you need an oncology pharmacist involved in care with patients with cancer. So irinotecan is given IV, and then carboxyl esterases, these enzymes in the liver, maybe in certain tumor cells, uh, rapidly convert irinotecan to the active metabolite SM38. Now, both irinotecan and its active metabolite SM38 have, uh, have potency as topoisomerase 1 inhibitors and contribute to its efficacy. There's a lot of variability uh, with patients in blood concentrations of SM38, and there's some reasons for that. SM38 
is glucuronidated by the enzyme UGT1A1 to the SN38G metabolite. So it's SN38 that's been glucuronidated. Now that SN38G metabolite that's inactive is excreted via the bile into the feces. While it's in the lumen of the GI tract, uh, bacteria that produce uh, beta-glucuronidases deglucuronidate SN38G into SN38, which then can be reabsorbed, contributing to, uh, to, the, um, to the serum concentrations of SN38, and also irritate the GI tract locally, which is one of the causes of the diarrhea for iron antecan. So the drug is metabolized also by CYP384 to an inactive metabolite, but its main uh, kind of metabolic pathway is via this UGT1A1 to uh, SM38 that's then glucuronidated and excreted in the bile. So for that reason, there are dose reductions for elevated bilirubin. We don't know exactly what the optimal dose reduction is. Uh, there's also a warning about patients with Gilbert's, Gilbert's disease. Uh, uh, it looks like Gilbert, but it's Gilbert, named after a French physician. Patients who have a deficiency in UGT1A1 in most cases in their ability to conjugate bilirubin, therefore have a slightly elevated bilirubin and slightly decreased ability to, to eliminate uh, irantecan's active metabolite SN38. Uh, fun fact, I got a friend from residency who has Gilbert's disease, and I told him within hours of meeting him and him telling me this, that he shouldn't receive irantecan, nerd that I am. Now, in addition to, as we'll talk about, some um, some pharmacogenetic differences in the distribution of, of UGT1A1 polymorphisms, it's also a substrate for breast cancer resistance protein, uh, organic acid transporting peptide 1B, or OTP1B1 and OTP1B3, uh, which is also known as LCO1B1 and B3, P-glycoprotein. So, and these are transporters that will transport the drug uh, from, say, the lumen of the GI tract into the cell or from cells to the blood. And they, we are learning much more about polymorphism in these transporters and how that could be uh, a big source of interpatient variability. Another source of interpatient variability, of course, are the polymorphisms in UGT1A1. So we, <coughs> we know that if you are UGT1A1 star 28 star 28, or you are homozygous for, uh, for that genotype of the star 28 genotype, you do not uh, metabolize SN38 as well and are prone to more neutropenia. Now, patients who are heterozygous for this UGT1A1 star, star 28 allele it seems to be about 10% of a North American population, about 1% are homozygous. And I've also seen allelic frequencies of, of UGT1A1 star 28, 40% roughly in Africans and Europeans, and lower at 16% in Asians. So this calls into question, now knowing that there's variability in how patients metabolize SN38, calls into question the dosing. And Innocenti and colleagues in uh, JCO in 2014 looked at 68 patients um, with the three genotypes. So the wild type, star one, star one, heterozygous, star one, star 28, and then homozygous for the deficiency, star 28. <coughs> and what they found is there were different maximally tolerated doses. This was a, a dose escalation, basically like a phase one study with patients in three different cohorts based on the genotype. So the maximum tolerated dose for patients who are heterozygous for star 28 was 350 milligrams per meter squared, which was what we thought all along the dose was of our antiquin when given every three weeks. Now, if you were homozygous for the wild type, star one, star one, your maximum tolerated dose was about 10% higher, 425 milligrams per meter squared. And if you were 
uh, homozygous for the deficiency star 28, star 28 genotype, the maximum tolerated dose was 200 milligrams per meter squared, 40% less than the standard every three week dose. So what this means with regard to the interpatient variability, uh, when the study was first, studies were first done, the patients who were heterozygous got the right dose, the patients who were wild type got a slightly lower dose, and the patients who were homozygous for the deficiency obviously got a much higher dose than they needed that was toxic. So that certainly does contribute to some of that interpatient variability. Now before you ask, uh, UGT1A1 uh, testing prior to treatment has not yet become standard that I know of. I don't know of any guidelines that suggest that. Uh, however, it does make sense, and we'll come back to that when we talk about liposomal iron and TCAM. So besides polymorphisms, one other thing that can affect the interpatient variability is smoking status. So smoking induces UGT1A1. So Vanderball and colleagues in JCO in 2007 uh, looked at 190 patients, giving them the standard every three-week dose of 350 milligrams per meter squared. It would have been great also to know what their UGT1A1 status was. Now, smoking was shown to decrease the AUC of SN38, increase SN38 glucuronidation, and decrease the risk of grade 3 or 4 neutropenia, so ANC less than 1,000. So if you were a smoker, the risk of severe neutropenia was 6% compared to 38% in non-smokers. And I, I remember seeing a patient uh, some years ago uh, in clinic on Fulferinox and gone through like 17, 18 cycles and was a smoker, so uh, tolerated the, the regimen pretty well. The next question would be, well, if we have a decreased concentration of SN38, is there reduced efficacy as well? Which is a study I'd love to do, but don't have the patient population and numbers to do that here. Another thing that can affect the patient, the interpatient variability of iron can are drug interactions. So it is a 3A4 substrate. So inhibitors, strong inhibitors of 3A4, like ketoconazole, increase the SN38 AUC by 109%, suggesting maybe a 50% dose reduction. Um, that's just from one study in JCO in 2002. PI doesn't give us any examples or any data, just says to avoid use with strong 3A4 inhibitors. In fact, it says contraindicated. Uh, 3A4 inducers decrease SN38 levels. So to give you an example, um, studies in the uh, GBM patient population, so patients with brain tumors. Brain tumors often have seizures. And back in the day before we had levetiracetam, we had to use enzyme-inducing anti-epileptics. So the dose they used in the GBM studies was 125 milligrams per meter squared every two weeks. If you were on an enzyme-inducing anti-epileptic drug, carbamazepine, phenytoin, the dose was 340 milligrams per meter squared which means you went from 125 to 340 if you were taking carbamazepine. That's a 2.75 higher dose, which is a scary high number to think about. The scarier thing is if you don't catch that interaction and you give somebody with GBM the 125 milligram dose while they're on, say, phenytoin, you're giving them almost a three-fold underdose of iron and TCAN. Um, so certainly a lot of causes for interpatient variability with iron and TCAN one of the reasons you got to have a pharmacist involved in reviewing these orders. So, of course, we could spend lots and lots of time talking about toxicity with iron and TCAN. We're going to focus really uh, mostly on one of them. And uh, one, of, uh, one of my former students came up with this, and it's great, so I, I can't take credit for it. So thanks to Ryan. Uh, but he called iron and TCAN, I ran to the can. Because the big, the big diarrhea, the big toxicity to know about iron and TCAN is diarrhea. And there are two types of diarrhea. The early diarrhea happens while the drug is being infused or shortly thereafter. And it's characterized by a cholinergic storm. So salivation, abdominal cramping, sweating, flushing, and diarrhea. 
It does seem to be dose related. Higher doses tend to do this more often. So the treatment for this is an anticholinergic. Uh, the PI suggests atropine 0.25 milligrams to one milligram. Um, there is some debate as to whether or not patients should receive a prophylactic low-dose atropine to prevent that. My general recommendation to physicians is to uh, have it on there as a, as a possibility, say 0.25 in case of cholinergic storm times one. And if patients do have the cholinergic storm, then to, to consider and give them um, a low-dose atropine for prophylaxis before subsequent doses. Now, the late diarrhea tends to be more problematic with iron atikin. So this is diarrhea that happens more than 24 hours later. It can be very severe. So grade 3 diarrhea happens in, in almost 20% of patients with ironotecan. Uh, it can even lead to grade, you know, severe renal failure from the dehydration. Now the treatment for this, based on the packet answer, is loperamide. 4 milligrams at the onset of diarrhea or loose stools, then 2 milligrams every 2 hours until no diarrhea for 12 hours. Um, now that, if you, if you do the math, that is going to exceed by quite a bit the 16 milligram per day maximum dose of over-the-counter loperamide. Uh, and that is okay with irantecan as long as it does not, uh, as long as loperamide use does not exceed 48 hours, at which case they need to see a physician. A little interesting thing here. So the diarrhea is thought and believed to be caused by that intestinal formation of SN38. So SN38G is excreted in the bile into the intestine. Then these bacterial glucuronidases uh, convert SN38G back into SN38 right there at the site of the, the GI lumen um, on the mucosal cells in the GI tract, causing irritation and diarrhea. So what if you decrease the presence of those enzymes? Well, those enzymes are produced by gut flora. So there are two studies um, from St. Jude's in pediatric cancer patients uh, looking at giving uh, cephalosporins, uh, cephpodoxum in one study and cefoxetin in one study. And what these studies find is that it, there's decreased diarrhea and that patients can tolerate slightly higher doses of ironotecan. Uh, now, certainly that would be great for tolerability, but these are both phase one studies. I have not seen any confirmatory studies, uh, either in peds or any other similar studies in adults, but certainly something very interesting um, the question you'd have to think about, this is great if we decrease the diarrhea, but then are we also decreasing in some way the AUC of SN38 by preventing any uh, interhepatic recirculation that may happen? Uh, and then finally, I'll mention that, you know, if diarrhea doesn't get you, the neutropenia will as far as a dose-limiting toxicity. It is, you know, like most drugs, has our, our hallmark toxicities of nausea and vomiting, moderately emetogenic, neutropenia, mucositis, um, and, and alopecia. So we do see, you know, those things with irinotecan. I would be uh, remiss if I didn't mention there is a liposomal irinotecan, both for completeness sake, but also because somebody reached out on social media asking to hear about this. So liposomal irinotecan, it's in a liposome. Uh, it's FDA approved for pancreatic cancer in combination with 5-FU leucovorin. Uh, now, we don't use 5-FU leucovorin signal agent for metastatic pancreatic cancer. Um, the median overall survival in the study that got disapproved was 6 months, 6.1 months with the liposomal irantecan 5-FU leucovorin compared to just 4.2 months with 5-FU leucovorin, which is kind of placebo. Um, I mean, single-agent GEM has comparable overall survival, better tolerated. Not sure why you would use this drug at this point for pancreatic cancer. But I'll also mention the half-life of the irantecan uh, in liposomal irantecan is 25 hours and SN38 60 hours. Um, but what's really interesting about liposomal irantecan is, to my knowledge, it's the first approved drug 
that has pharmacogenetic guided dosing. So for those who are wild type, the dose is 70 milligrams per meter squared. If you're homozygous for star 28, star 28, the dose is 50 milligrams per meter squared. So about a 30% decrease, which is consistent with the 40% decrease we saw from the phase one study, looking at patients with the three different UGT1A1 genotypes. Um, now we had a patient some, some, some time back who was heterozygous, and what is the dose you do there? Uh, do you do 60? Do you be extra safe and reduce to 50? Or you just give full dose 70? And based on the PI, it seems like you give the full dose 70 because there is no dose reduction for the heterozygous patients. So that's irinotecan, a really fascinating drug. I hope you enjoyed learning more about irinotecan or iran to the can. Feel free to use that. Let's make it a thing. Everyone learns irinotecan as iran to the can. Be a great thing for the podcast. Um, feel free to follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetna. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. Uh, rate, review us in the iTunes store. Listen, subscribe, download iTunes, Google Music, uh, Stitcher, uh, wherever you get podcasts, SoundCloud. This is where this podcast is. Thanks for listening, and until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.